Welcome to the Bringing Her Hope podcast. I'm Bethany Bravery, and I'm thrilled that you are here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend on the podcast to share not only the story that God is writing for her, but the story that God is redeeming in her life. I cannot wait for you to meet each and every one of these amazing women who I know will inspire you to also live out the story that God is calling you to and to give you hope that He will be faithful to redeem your story as well. My guest this week is Kim Snyder. Kim is a wife and a mom and a grandmother, and she's been appointed as a missionary of Assemblies of God World Mission since 1986. She is the founder of Moms Magazine, a publication for Filipino women, as well as the permanent non-resident faculty of Asia Pacific Theological Seminary. Kim also has a PhD in intercultural education and is the author of three books for Filipino women. When Kim found out her son had cancer, her life literally turned into a living nightmare. This journey was full of fear and anger and terror, but God was faithful through it all. Hey, Kim, for, the, for my listeners that don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. I um, used to live in the Philippines for 30 years as an Assemblies of God minister, and I have just recently relocated to Memphis, Tennessee. I'm a mother of two gorgeous sons. I have beautiful daughter-in-laws and five and soon-to-be-six grandchildren. So cool. So cool. Um, So ladies that are listening, you guys are going to want to take notes on this one. I know I say that almost every episode, but this gal has walked through a journey about keeping her faith when you don't understand what God is doing. And so I know that we've all experienced a situation when we don't know what the next step is, what God's going to do, but we know that he's faithful. So Kim, why don't you take us on your journey? Okay. It's a privilege to get to talk about what God's done in my life. And, um, It's a longer story every year as you get older, so there's lots of chapters. But the story that I want to tell you about today um, is our journey with our son who got cancer. And I'm going to start with um, a couple verses in Hebrews. It's Hebrews 11, and it's verses 1 and 3. And I'll read them to you now. It's faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. And as I said, the chapter in my life story that I want to talk to you about is the chapter that deals with our youngest son getting cancer. This happened 25 years ago, and I think about it every day. Uh, I have pain from it every day, but the pain isn't sharp now. It's a gentle pain, but this incident really marked a turning point in my life and also a crisis point in my faith with God. You know, before Mark got sick, um, there was a cushion between the hard things in my life and myself. And I knew the cushion was there. I expected it to be there. I had the idea that if I followed Jesus, he would protect me from big tragedy and extreme hardship. And I just always felt that. Mark's cancer diagnosis changed that for me. I felt like my cushion and my protection had totally disappeared. 
I'm going to go backwards a little bit and tell you about our story um, up to that point. When my uh, sons were 7 and 10, my husband Bill and I were commissioned missionaries for the Assemblies of God Church, and we were sent to the country of the Philippines. Our job was to start a media training center and a small production house for the Asia-Pacific Rim countries. This was before Internet. So at that time, it meant radio programs, movies, um, any short videos, that kind of thing. And I had absolutely no misgivings about going. I was so excited, even though I had never felt ever, ever met and probably not even seen a Filipino before. We came from a small town in the Midwest in Illinois, and um, I'd never seen one, but I was never seen an Islander, never seen, I think I'd heard Spanish spoken before once, didn't know the language, what language there was, but I was just so absolutely sure that this was going to be a wonderful adventure, and God was sending us. So. We get on the plane in Honolulu, and I realized that, now this is 30 years ago, I realized that um, there were very few, if any, other white people on the plane. You know, um, that was new for me because I was from the middle of the country, and uh, I I fell asleep, and we're flying over the Pacific. Back then, Bethany, can you believe this? There was no movies. Mm. This is 30 years ago. That is a long flight yes, with it no is. movies. Yes, it is. And um, woke up in the middle of the night terrified. It was a little late to be scared, you know, <laughs> over the ocean. And my kids were on the plane, and I thought, what am I doing? Taking my babies, I, I'm, you know, into this country. And uh, I sat up in my seat and looked around, and there were... That the plane was totally dark, but there were reading lights on. And under every reading light sat a Filipino, and they were all reading the Bible, every single one that I saw. And I felt like God spoke to me at that time. He said, you know, I've got my people on this flight. You're going to be fine. I'm going to take care of you. And I really felt that he promised me those things on that flight. And you know what? We were fine. We got through our first four-and-a-half-year term. We absolutely loved it, and it was hard. It's a lot of hard work, but we loved it. Our kids were thriving in their school, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful adventure. So after four-and-a-half years, we went back to the States, and we raised money again and came out for the second term. And that's kind of when our lives fell apart. Our children by this time were 14 and 17. School, their school started in August. And by mid-October, I could tell that something was wrong with our 14-year-old. He wasn't thriving. It's really hard for him to get up in the morning. Um... He didn't sleep well. He was always tired, but he couldn't sleep, and he quit growing. Other other boys in his class, you know, that's kind of the stage where they shoot up and they get really hungry and all that stuff. Uh, 
he went from being average size in terms of his friends to being small, really small. There was a huge difference. Um, he stopped eating. There was nothing I could say or cook that made him want to eat anything. And I kept saying, hey, you want to grow, you know, you, you need to eat. He, he couldn't eat. Um, he started exercising like crazy. And I thought to myself, you know what? If this were a little girl, I would suspect anorexia and bulimia. It was that kind of thing. Um, but the crazy thing is that neither Bill nor I ever thought this was a serious illness. It never entered our minds. And there were some reasons for this. Um, back in the Philippines, when we moved there, there were brownouts all the time that would last 12 hours. So it was always really hot, and it was always really polluted. Um, the boys were playing sports, and our job was really hard. We were always tired. And so I thought, well, he's just tired like the rest of us are. He's really tired. Secondly, his grandfather, my husband's father, was a really small man. And we thought, well, you know, our other son's close to six foot, but maybe Mark's just going to be really little. And Mark, even though he wasn't sleeping or eating, he was still playing sports and he was still making straight A's. So he wasn't asking, you know, acting like he was sick. But Bethany, the bottom line for me was that promise God made me on the plane. I thought he told me that he's going to take care of our family. So to me, that meant, you know, we're not going to get sick because we're in Asia. We're giving our lives for Jesus and God is going to keep us. And, and it's so funny, other things happened to us during that time that were really kind of dangerous, but I never questioned that God would take care of us in health. So the fall progressed. Um, we got into Christmas vacation, and Mark had wanted an outdoor basketball hoop. He uh, was really a good good uh, athlete, even though he was short. He loved basketball. So we bought him one for Christmas. We set it up that day, and he played basketball all day on Christmas. But he wouldn't eat Christmas dinner. And then he started waking up in the morning, and his sheets were all sweaty. Now, we all got hot. the, The tropics, and I thought, well, that's funny. He's He's getting hotter than the rest of us. I look back on this now, and it's real easy to think I was a horrible mother. Um, like, why didn't I catch this sooner type thing? But, you know, you never, it never enters your mind, oh, my 14-year-old's going to get cancer. I mean, you know, who thinks of that? I didn't. And um, so, you know, I'm still not realizing how serious this is. In February, the beginning of February, he started flu symptoms. And I thought, okay, well, he's got a, he's been bit by a mosquito. Maybe he's got a little malaria. You know, something is coming up. 
there was this fear now that that started in in my mind, um, but I had refused to really let it, you know, let it take hold of me. But by this time, um, I'm think I'm getting scared. And in the first week of March, my husband and I took off work and drove uh, Mark down to the middle of the city to the business center, Makati. And we went to see a German doctor named Dr. Varwig. He was um, an older man, close to 70, and just very, very wise. And the trip was grueling because, uh, you know, the traffic was terrible. It was about 10 miles, but it took an hour and a half. (laughs) That's how traffic is in, in many in Manila and you know we have a sick teenager and um we're worried and but but it was worth it because this doctor we knew him we knew he was really really good and i i still remember um the doctor's face he um examined mark uh really really well and um He's just he was just a jolly guy. Every time we'd been there before he cracked jokes and everything. And I still remember his face because um it was really, really serious. Mm-hmm. And he said he said, I'm gonna um give you some antibiotics and then he looked at me and he said, But you know what? If he's not better this is probably Thursday, he said, If he's not better by Monday you need to come back. And I said, okay, sure, because I'm thinking, yay, we have a diagnosis. It's some kind of flu. He's finally on the right antibiotics, and uh, I'm not going to have to do this traffic again because he's going to be better by Monday. But, you know, I I think that doctor knew at the time that we'd be back. Um, I have a feeling that he probably knew all along, but I think he thought that we wouldn't believe him, you know, and we needed to give this other thing a shot. So we waited, and Monday, sure enough, Mark and I were in the car again. And this time, Bill didn't go with me uh, because, you know, he had been there. The doctor said if those antibiotics didn't work well, come back. So um, I was going back. And um, I got in the traffic, got in the car, very sick teenager and we're laboring through the heat and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I wonder, could he have some kind of pneumonia? I mean, or some kind of virus. This is, this is really strange. Of course, I didn't talk to Mark about that, but I was, I was beginning at that point to really, really get worried. So we go back again, we park in this, parking garage, go back into this doctor's office. And I said, you know, he's no better than men. The medicine isn't working. And he looked at me and he said, well, we're going to need to admit him to Makati Medical because he's either got tuberculosis or he's got cancer. Mm. And um, I almost fell over. I literally grabbed the back of the chair <laughs> I, I know everybody loves their kids, but boy, when you're a missionary family, your kids are it, you know, um, they're everything because that's all you have. 
And uh, I just could hardly, I could hardly stand when he said that. He said, and, and but I said to him, no, I don't want to be, we're going to go home. We're going home, gonna to go home to the United States. And he said, well, how soon can you get there? And I said, we'll be there in 48 hours. Of course, I didn't know that we could do that, but I told him that. And we get in the elevator, and Mark looks at me and he goes, Mom, what's lymphoma? And I said, lymphoma is cancer. I, I just blurted it out. You know, I'm just in shock. And I, I'll never forget Mark's face, like, I've got cancer? You know, um, and I said, well, that's just what we're thinking, but we're going to go home. We're going to go home to America, and we're going to work this out. So... Um, I don't remember how I even drove home that day through horrendous traffic again. I remember the seriousness on the doctor's face, and I remember Mark's face, and that's pretty much all I remember from that terrible day. I don't remember how I told my husband. I don't know, remember how I told Bill. I mean, uh, Timothy, our, our other son. Um, I don't remember anything about that day at all. But Bill was up all night and he got us tickets and we were on the plane the next morning. I think uh, at this point, you know, we really didn't believe it was cancer, but some, um, some, you know, maybe weird tropical thing. 30 years ago in the Philippines, um, they have wonderful doctors and they have wonderful hospitals now. And the doctors then were wonderful too, but it was a really third world country back then. So there wasn't the ability uh, to do the, to do the procedures. And I thought surely that, you know, this is a misdiagnosis. And, you know, I kept thinking of that airplane. And I kept thinking what God had told me, that he was going to take care of me, and so this couldn't be cancer. I don't remember packing, and I don't remember our flight home. I don't remember how it was. I, I have absolutely no memory of that. My parents met us in the airport in Missouri, and I'm sure that they uh, must have been really scared and worried. Um, but I had absolutely no empathy for their feelings at all. I was only aware of my feelings. As I'm telling you the story, Bethany, I, I think it's kind of important. I, I've tried to leave out my son's reactions and his feelings because that's his story to tell. Mm -hmm. So um, I was aware, of course, of what he was going through at that time, but I'm just going to tell you what was going on in my mind, because um, that's what I feel like I have the right to share. I had no empathy for anybody's feelings except myself and his. Um, you always hear as Christian people talk, uh, you know, God put me in this situation, but I had this incredible sense of peace. Well, I had no sense of peace, none. I had no sense of God's presence, and the only thing I felt at that time was utter, complete terror. I was terrified. 
my parents took us home and put us in their guest rooms, but I had to stay in the same room with Mark because this time he was too weak to even turn himself over in bed if he wanted to. He had deteriorated so much on the flight back to um, the States. Our mission was wonderful. They set up appointments for us the next day. We were at the doctor's office, and the day after that, he was in surgery. They took out a lymph node and um, took all the blood work that they needed. And the next day after that, we had our diagnosis. He was stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the real journey began at that point. Um, The hospital in Springfield told me that his cancer was so serious that they wouldn't treat it. And they sent me to St. Jude's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. We, um, We went down there the next day. My parents were wonderful. We moved into their house. Um, They packed everything up and got the car with us, and we drove to Memphis, and we checked into the hospital on Sunday. Now, this is really fast. We came home on Tuesday, went to the doctor on Wednesday. Thursday, he had the surgery. Friday, we had the diagnosis. And Sunday, we're at St. Jude's. And uh, we were assigned a doctor there. The man that treated Mark is still there, and I see him every once in a while because I work in the hospital now. But um, he uh, was just a wonderful, wonderful man. He was a young doctor at that time, and he would carefully explained to me, Bill didn't come home with me because we had another son that was in school over there. And if I, if you remember in both of our minds, we were sure this was not cancer. Mm -hmm. So Bill had decided he would stay with Timothy and then wait for us to come back. Or if it was really serious, he'd come over. But, you know, again, we were just sure it wasn't. I remember this young doctor, though, talking to me and Mark, and I remember the doctor was very earnest that we understand what was going on. At St. Jude, when a child is a teenager, they don't, um, at that time, they didn't hide anything from them. So I probably would not have told Mark how bad his diagnosis was. But this doctor put his x-rays up, put the film up, and said, Mark, here's your cancer, here's your cancer. Here's your cancer. This is what we're going to do. And so he and Mark are standing in front of the uh, x-ray machine, and I'm standing behind the doctor with my eyes closed. I didn't want to see how bad it was. Um, It it, it was crazy. I, I still can't believe I did that, but that's what I did. And... St. Jude's put him on a 13 month cancer protocol that started the next day. We were in the Ronald McDonald house sometimes, uh, but most of the time I chose to uh, be there for the treatment and then drive back to be with my parents in Missouri. Bill got on the airplane, he was there for the first chemo. And then he went back to the Philippines to get our other son. 
and we began um, this protocol of 13 months. One of the things that happens with cancer, Bethany, is that it doesn't just affect um, the person who has it. It kind of affects the whole family. And so um, when Mark was halfway through the protocol, summer vacation was ending, Tim had come home for the summer, we gave him the choice because it was his senior year. We said, do you want to stay here in Missouri or do you want to go back to the Philippines and graduate with your class? Because it was, he, it had, that school had a boarding school option. And he chose to go back to the Philippines. I was so glad because I, when I was in Tennessee and with Bill in Tennessee, we had nowhere for him to be to continue his schooling in Missouri. It, I was really glad that he went back. I felt that was his really responsible choice. But the thing is, Bethany, I missed my son's senior year. And there are so many causes, uh, so many things that happen with cancer that is besides the cancer. And so I would just encourage anybody that's listening to this podcast, if you have a family member or friend going through cancer, there are so many things that you can do to help, help them. Um, you know, we had wonderful friends in the Philippines that helped us so that Tim could graduate. When Tim went back, um, Bill stayed with me and with Mark, and my focus was to um, help him graduate with his class. So any time that he was not throwing up, we did schoolwork. I put him on a homeschool program that was compatible with his school in the Philippines. I think that kind of gave him hope that he was going to get well. Mm -hmm. But we would be doing geometry or chemistry at 11 o'clock at night because that's when he wasn't throwing up. It was a crazy, crazy schedule. Um, As far as my feelings were at this time, I got to tell you, I was so angry at God that I couldn't even pray. Mm-hmm. I felt like he had lied to me. I've never met anybody else that felt this way, and I'm ashamed of how I felt. I felt he'd betrayed me. My husband didn't go through this, but I felt like God had led me down a garden path, and he hadn't been faithful. So for many, many months, I didn't pray, and I became, I took on the grief of all the parents and the pain of all the children at St. Jude Hospital. And it took many months to get over that. It took a long, long time. When I did try to pray, what I did was I'd open my Bible to the Psalms where David was frustrated, and I would scream those words to God. Because I thought, I thought if I tell him how I really feel, maybe he'll kill me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I just, of course that wouldn't happen, but you know, that's, that's how, that's how I felt. And so I would say, God, God, why have you forsaken me in a really angry, loud voice? And that took a long, long time to get over. Our story had a really happy ending. After 13, 13 months, Mark was cancer free. That was 25 years ago. The cancer has never come back. We went back to the Philippines. He graduated with his class, and um, he is now a medical doctor. Mm. 
He's a pediatric ER physician at Le Bonheur Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, across the river from St. Jude's. But our whole family paid a, a really big price for this, um, I thought, at the time. We had a year of fear, and then for the next year, every time we had to have the blood test, I was terrified that the white counts would be high again. Tim had to leave home a year before he normally would have. My oldest son really was separated from our family from the time he was 17 years old, and I'm never going to get that time back. We returned to the mission field after Mark was released from the hospital, and I was still very angry, but I was getting better with each month that his counts became normal. And we did have a little time with our oldest son. I paid him $1,000 not to go to the U.S. in June and get a part-time job, but to stay with us for the summer. I didn't really have to pay him, but I just gave him that because I, I told him we need this summer, and he agreed. He was a wonderful, wonderful older brother. But I still had so much pain in my heart, Bethany. Um, I did a children's church one Sunday in the middle of the city and uh, I was driving down, I was driving home afterwards alone in the car and my car air conditioner went out and I was struck in a traffic jam and it should have taken me like an, maybe an hour to get home and it took closer to three hours and I'm sitting in this horrible polluted area and I'm having it out with God in the car. And you know, I told you that I had all these feelings. No one else understood these feelings I had. Bill, Bill didn't have this anger toward God. My parents didn't. I don't think Mark even did. But it was so big in my heart. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in the traffic, and this is what he said. He said, Kim, I would love to explain this to you, but you don't have the frame of reference to understand it. And that was the turning point. Because I realized, Bethany, one, the first thing I realized is God cared enough to actually speak to me and explain that. He didn't have to do that. And then I realized, Bethany, that I could actually stop wrestling with, why did God do this? Why does God let children get cancer? Why does God let mass murder take place? Why, why, why? I could stop wrestling with it because God told me I could never understand it. I didn't have to understand it. I didn't have to make sense of it. And finally, I realized that I could quit trying to reason it out. This was not a situation that called for reasoning. It was a situation that called for faith. Mm. And I could choose to believe. So I'm going to go back to the scripture verse. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of things we do not see. Mm. By faith. We understand the universe was formed at God's command 
so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. I didn't have to understand it. And that started my role to healing. You know, um, the years have passed, and some of the things I've learned is that cancer patients are an unreached people group. And I'm learning that God sends his people into that group. And the purpose is to share in the fellowship of suffering. God has used me to um, help people get into hospitals. Sometimes people get a cancer diagnosis and they don't know what to do. And I have learned to do research and, and help people get into cancer centers. I volunteer now at St. Jude's as a playroom hostess. I get to play with the patients, um, and I get to meet their families. And we're not allowed to say anything about God there, but sometimes um, God opens doors for me to comfort them. And um, I've I've just I've learned to make this. Um, a point of ministry in my life. Mm-hmm. I've also realized as the 25 years have gone, that God trusted with me. God trusted me with this cancer. He knew what it was going to do to me. He knew what it was going to do to my faith in him. And yet he trusted me enough to let me go through it. Mm-hmm. And in a way he made himself vulnerable to me he showed me a side of himself that I had not understood or ever seen before. He wasn't just there to, to protect me. He wasn't just there to give me everything I asked for. But he had a character that in some ways I will never understand. And he trusted me to see that side of it. And then he waited for me while I was screaming at him. He never struck me down with lightning or thunder or anger. You know, I when I think back on that time, I I feel like he was just in the center of the room, at the corner of the room, waiting for me, listening to all the horrible things I said about him, and he was just there waiting. The Holy Spirit never rebuked me for my lack of faith. He just waited for me. We all love C.S. Lewis and And I think you probably remember in one of his books, uh, one of the characters says, Aslan is not a tame lion. Mm -hmm. And that's how I understand God now and understand Jesus. He's not tame. Tame is understandable. But God is not tame. We can only understand part of him. Numbers, another verse that's good. I, I just wrote a couple of verses down here. Numbers says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and that carried it through? See, he, he promised he'd protect us, and he did. Mark, Mark made it. It's just that I didn't understand what that journey was going to be like. I've learned that God's viewpoint is an overview. It's eternal. I've learned that 
There are times when he doesn't talk to you because he respects your pain. He doesn't. He doesn't talk to you when you hurt that much sometimes, but he's always there and waiting for you. And and he also makes it possible if you really want to come back to him, he will he won't let you go. He'll leave you never. He he will never leave you, but he'll wait for you to come back to him. I'd like to kind of close my part with a quote that I found today as I was praying about this and um, one of the devotionals that I read when I was going through this time is Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And he writes this, uh, and I'm going to end my part here with this. He says, according to the Bible, you cannot say you know God unless you have experienced Him. Biblical knowledge always involves experience. And he says, he continues, he says, um, bring your experience up to the standard of Scripture. Never reduce Scripture to the level of your experience. Jesus prayed you would experience the depth and width and height of his love and that you would enjoy God's full and unending love in the day-to-day experiences of your life. So it's there, even if we don't understand it and even if we can't feel it. It's there through faith. Oh, Kim, thank you, first of all, for being courageous to share your story. Um, Let's speak to the listener who is in the middle of the angry, is in the middle of the shame, is in the middle of the terror and whatever their story is. What would you say to them today? Well, I would say that I was the worst of all of anybody (laughs) in that situation, literally. I'm an Assemblies of God minister, and yet this is what happened to me. So everything, everybody faces it differently. My husband didn't experience that. My parents didn't, but I did. So some people experience that. And I guess it's some kind of weird normal. I, it happened to me. You're not the only one. It happens to other people, whether or not they tell you or not. It's a hard thing to confess that you feel that way. I think but what, I, I think more people do than not. Yeah, and I think what's incredible about it is that God showed himself evident to be able to handle your emotions and to handle your hurt and to be able to carry all that. And at the same time, he waited on you. And like, that's what he's, I feel like he's saying to anyone listening right now is all of that. He knows all of that. He still chooses you all of that. He's still going to be faithful. It just may not look like you think it will. Um, how, you know, remember, remember the book of Job where Job's friends come in and they give him all this advice. And he really doesn't want it. He just wants their presence. I think that that's what God does sometimes. I mean, you know, he doesn't tell us, oh, cheer up, I've got this. He just stands there and walks through it with you. Um, Once it kind of shifted for you and God revealed that he would love to explain it, but it's something that you couldn't even understand, how has that changed your perspective of your life now currently after after that shift change? Well, I came back home to God's family 
um, I was, I quit running. I mean, I, I quit, I left him out of my life for a long, long time. Even though I was still doing the job of ministry, I didn't trust him. And I trust him now. That's good. Kim, if you could sit down with your 20-year-old self, what would you say to her today? We all wish we were 20 again (laughs) and we could go through it again. I would say don't waste a lot of time on anything except serving God. Because the closer you draw to Him, the more you understand about life. And, um, you know, if I were to go through it again, I'm not sure I would have any different reaction. But I, I also believe that the cancer is sort of God's plan for me. Um, my mother died of cancer. My mother-in-law died of cancer. My son had cancer. And, you know, we can we can walk through it in a way that's like, I can't believe, God, you drew me into this, which was the way I entered it. Or we can go through it like, okay, God, here's our next problem. Well, how do you want me to deal with this one? Because God does call people. See, this. I'm going to offend a lot of people right now, okay? I'm gonna, Because we like to think, if you're really serving Jesus, none of these things happen to you. I believe... God calls us into the fellowship of suffering. And some of the time, some of our job as Christians is to walk through these situations with Jesus, holding the hands of other people as they walk through them. So true. And, and it's interesting that you say that. We were talking in our staff meeting um, on Monday and talking about as a radio station, you know, we want to definitely talk about the hope of Jesus. But I think kind of like what you were saying, sometimes as Christians, we can we can tell people in a sense that if they walk with Jesus, then everything's going to be great and wonderful. And that's not at all what the Word says. The Word promises that there's going to be suffering. The Word promises that there's going to be trials. But He also promises that He's going to be with us. And yeah, I think it's good. Here's the thing. How how are cancer people going to know about Jesus? Uh, Doctors can't tell them. The only people that can tell them are other cancer patients. You know, in those hospitals, um, this is how I... This is how I view ministry. Before, you know, I was like, okay, make a strategy. Here's your people group. Here's what we're going to do to reach them. And all those things are good. But now I wake up and say, okay, Jesus, what are we doing today? What do you have planned for me today? And so I'm trying to believe that everybody that comes into my life was sent there that day, was sent there by Jesus this day, today. Today, God wants me to touch that person's life somehow. And um, I think as you get older, you quit making long-term plans anyway. But I just, it's not to me about defining my life anymore. It's its about a moment-by-moment, moment, uh, moment-by-moment walk with Him. And, you know, I forgot to tell you one thing. When I was with the cancer doctor the first time, I thought I'd been there three hours listening to this diagnosis, and only five minutes had gone back on the clock. 
And so it was like I started learning to breathe five minutes at a time. And and that's a good thing um, for me to do now because after I get off this podcast, God's got another five minutes for <laughs> Amen, me girl. to do something with, yes, right? Yes, don't waste a moment. I love it. So yeah, good. That's my advice to my 20-year-old self. Don't waste a moment. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. So, Kim, tell me what is something that you're incredibly passionate about these days. Guess what? Children with cancer. Amen. Um, I want to invite your listeners. I started a Cancer Prayer Fellowship page on Facebook. So, it is for two kinds of people. Cancer patients and people who are willing to pray for cancer patients. Um, look it up, Cancer Prayer Fellowship. I started out with, we started out with about eight people that decided to be intercessors. And we have about 57 people now that are part of this group. Probably 10 of them are cancer patients. And the rest of us are people who pray for them. And the cancer patients can write in and say, I've got chemo tomorrow, and we will go to prayer for that person. Um, Mark's doctor at St. Jude, at the time he was treated, was not a Christian. He was another religion, and I just saw him a couple months ago, and he said, I told him about the page, and I told him that I prayed for him every day, and he said, yeah. He said, you know, a lot of people think this whole thing is about technology and the equipment and the drugs, but he said it's not. It's about prayer. So um, whether somebody, whether you've got somebody in your family that you're assisting, whether you have cancer or whether you're praying for people that has cancer, this is a part of God's work for us. This is a part of his kingdom. And God is working in the cancer hospitals. God is working in the researchers' lives. God is working. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. And, you know, uh, we're, we're going to see so many people in heaven as a result of prayer. Kim, thank you so much for taking, again, the time out of your day to share your story. Thank you for your time to be able to be raw and real with us and to let us know that things are hard, um, but we know that we can trust a God that is faithful. So thank you for joining us, girl. You're welcome. It's been my delight. Can I just say how grateful I am to have the guests that we do on this podcast? There was just so many takeaways from Kim's episode today that I wanted to highlight. I loved when Kim expressed what she felt like God wanted to explain to her. He said, I would love to explain this to you, but you won't have the frame of reference to understand it or for it to make sense. And the word that I was getting as I was listening to that was protector. Remember when she talked about being on the airplane when they were first flying and going to the mission field, and she said she was looking all around and she felt like God said, I will be protection for you. He is. He is for you and he is for me. And the fact that sometimes he doesn't give us all the details. In fact, often he doesn't give us all the details. He knows what we can handle and he knows what we can't. And he knows the perfect timing for when we're supposed to find things out. 
And I love what she said. It wasn't like she had all the puzzle pieces to the puzzle. It wasn't like everything came with a big shiny bow and it was all come together. It was that she had a choice. She had a choice to have faith and believe that God has her and has us even when we have no idea how it will play out. Another thing that she mentioned is she used to kind of look at her life and want to do a 15-year plan, which is honestly how I am wired. I like to have everything. I know what the plan is. I want to know what my week is. I want to know what my month is. I want to know what five years is from now. I'm definitely a planner. But I love how God has kind of shifted her perspective to now ask the question, Jesus, what are we doing today? I know for me, if my life looked like that on a daily basis, if I woke up and it wasn't all about everything that I had with my agenda or for my agenda for the year, for the next five years, but if I said to him, Jesus, what are we doing today? That's the partnership he created us for, y'all. That is the relationship that he wants to continue to cultivate in our hearts. And I loved also what she said Sometimes she's just learning to breathe five minutes at a time. Are you in a season right now where you have no idea what's going on? You don't know what is next. You're going through tragic or fear or anger. Even with the Lord, you're in that wrestle phase. Learn to breathe five minutes at a time. Walk in step with him. And lastly, she wanted to remind us to not waste a moment. This life is so precious. I know for me, I've lost a few different people, and even at the age that I am, to me, close to me, um, for different health things just in this last year. And it's just been such a reminder that life is so precious, and it goes by so fast. So don't waste a moment. Friend, I hope this podcast episode encourages you today. And if you are enjoying this podcast, then the best way to let us know that is by taking a moment to give us a review. You can do that on iTunes or any of the podcast platforms. But by giving us a review, it allows us to keep bringing you more content each week. Here's the other thing is when you give a review on iTunes, the more reviews that it has, the more iTunes wants to promote the podcast. So if the Bringing Her Hope podcast has been inspirational to you or something that you could share as a resource to a friend who's going through a difficult time, then the best way to do that is to give that review so we can get it out to more and more people. That's our heart is for people to know that they are not alone in their stories, that God has them, and that it's a me too situation, right? That all of us have been through really hard things that we are not alone in this journey together. Well, we can't wait to share another story of God's redemption next time. But until then, lovelies, keep living brave stories for Jesus.